just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us now. We come before your word here at the end of the day, and it's been a full day already, and we already have the needs of next week on our mind, and we ask for your help. We pray that this time would not be ill-spent, that we would be good stewards of these few minutes together, and that you would please encourage us and challenge us and refresh us with your word. We pray for your help now. I pray that you keep me from error. I pray that you would please help your people to be discerning and to hold fast to the things that are true. God, we pray that you would please build our church up in the gospel so that it would overflow in our lives and in our ministries, both here in Fisherville, all across this country, and to the very ends of the earth. We pray this, Lord, confident that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. As of November of last year, the International Mission Board estimates that there are roughly 3,200 unengaged or unreached people groups uh, on the globe, roughly 3,200. It's hard to get an accurate estimate of how many people that represents, but it's easily in the hundreds of millions of people unengaged and unreached with the gospel. And just to remind you, and whenever I hear numbers like 600 million, I, I forget the fact that each of those millions represents an individual made in the image of God who has a soul that will live forever. So roughly 3,200 unengaged, unreached people groups representing countless hundreds of millions of people who will exist for eternity. What is God's strategy for reaching those people? To put it plainly, God's strategy is the local church. The local church is God's strategy to reach the unreached. Hundreds of millions of people and God in his sovereignty equips and empowers local churches with his Holy Spirit to carry out the work of the Great Commission. Does God sometimes work in unusual ways? Yes, he does because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. How does he normally work? Through local churches, equipped with the gospel, carrying out the Great Commission in the power of the Holy Spirit. The local church is God's strategy. Now, if we're honest, that sounds a bit overwhelming. <laughs> Take our church, for example. We're just one congregation with a couple of hundred people. Fisherville is a really big church for me. <laughs> we're just one congregation with a couple hundred people. And compared to the scope of that mission, it seems rather staggering that we would be able to contribute anything to such a grand global work. And we're just one church. What confidence can we have that God's strategy is going to work? The needs are immense, and local churches are often quite small. So, what confidence is there for local churches to be able to faithfully carry out the mission that's been given to us by God? That's where this passage from Colossians chapter 1 comes into this equation. The truth of this text is actually a great encouragement for regular local churches that are seeking to be faithful to God's mission in the world. 
Let me explain what I mean. In these just few verses, two and a half verses, Paul gives us the history of the Colossian church, how it came into existence. And surprisingly, the history of the Colossian church is not extraordinary. In fact, it's just the opposite. The Colossians' history has only two elements, the Word of God and a faithful messenger. That's it. That's their whole history, the Word of God and a faithful messenger. Epaphras is the faithful messenger. We meet him in verse 7. He was from the city of Colossae, as best as we can tell, and he returned home with a very simple strategy. You see it there in verses 5 and 6. He proclaimed to them the word of the truth, the gospel. And by God's grace, that faithful message bore fruit. So one faithful messenger preaching one clear message, and the result was the birth of an entire church. And friends, that's the connection for us from Colossians chapter 1 to our context here in our day. We're just one local church. And while the mission of the church is staggering, the power of God's word proclaimed and ministered through faithful messengers is able to bear fruit wherever God plants it. So in order to encourage us this evening, I just want us to think about uh, what we could call the Epaphras model of ministry, the, the Epaphras mindset. Just like the history of the Colossian church this, this model for ministry has only two components. The first is the power of the word of God, and the second is the need for faithful messengers. Those two components capture Epaphras' ministry, God's word, faithful messenger, and those two components are also what local churches like ours need in order to carry out the mission Christ has given us. So for just a few minutes, let's think about each of those truths in turn. First of all, in verses 5 and 6, we need to think about the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. Several weeks ago now, we learned that the Apostle Paul began this letter in the typical way. He began by giving thanks to God. That's the main point of this first paragraph. And it remains the main point here in our text. Paul continues to thank God for his work in the Colossian church. But by the time you get to verse 5 and into verse 6... Paul's thanksgiving has now shifted so that he's describing how God was working in this church. And God was working through his word. That's how God worked. And in verse 6, Paul reminds the Colossians that the word that they have believed is no small thing. <laughs> the word of God is no small, no small thing. They received the same word, the same gospel, that according to Paul is presently turning the world upside down. In fact, if we just slow down for a minute on verse 6, this is maybe the advantage of a service like this. We can just camp out on verse 6 for a few minutes and think for a moment. If we will just linger on verse 6 and think, what we find is a description of the incredible power of God's word. So just think with me for a minute about verse 6. The word, according to Paul, has the power to produce life. Verse 6 describes the gospel in agricultural terms. Like a plant that's now in bloom, the word of God is bearing fruit and growing. You see it there in verse 6? Bearing fruit and growing. The idea here is continuous or ongoing fruitfulness. It's not a one-time harvest that the word of God brings about. 
It's an ongoing, repeated, continuous process. The gospel is bearing fruit, and it's going to continue to bear fruit and increase all the more. So think of the human heart um, like a field. Think of the human heart like a field. And before the reception of God's word, the soil of that heart is lifeless. Nothing grows, nothing good grows in the human heart by nature, at least not anything fruitful. There's plenty of thorns and thistles, but there's nothing giving life. There's no harvest of good fruit. But then through the power of God's word, everything changes. The word of God is preached. The Holy Spirit applies that word. Faith comes about in the person's heart. And the result is the fruit of the Spirit. New life begins to grow. Good fruit begins to grow as sinners are saved and brought to live under the Lordship of Christ. So that's the image that Paul has here in verse 6. That's the kind of growth that has produced the Colossian church. The Word of God has come to them, and the Word of God has produced life, life in them. Their own hearts have gone from death to life, from unbelief to faith, from darkness to light. In In short, the Colossians know the power of God. And amazingly, the power of that word never runs out. It never comes to its end. That's what Paul says when, that's what he means when he says it's bearing fruit and increasing. It's going to keep going. Paul keeps going though. Not only does the word of God have the power to produce life, but this power is not limited by people or by place. Notice the global scope in verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing among the Colossians as it also does in the whole world. That's an astonishing statement. That one message bearing fruit everywhere on the globe. And this should be a great encouragement to the Colossians. Remember remember the context of the letter. Their church has been infiltrated by false teachers, and those false teachers are preaching a Jesus and theology. They're telling them that Jesus is not enough, that there's something they need to add to the gospel, that they haven't known the power of God yet because they haven't embraced the the real mystery of truth. But how could that be the case, Paul asks? How could that be the case if the same message that you believed is the message that's bearing fruit in the whole world? How could there be anything deficient in the gospel if it's bearing fruit not just in Colossae, but also in Ephesus? And not just in Jerusalem, but in Rome. And not just in Antioch, but to the ends of the earth. How could the gospel of Christ be powerless if all across the Roman Empire, despite the best efforts of the emperor himself, the churches keep growing? Don't you love that in the book of Acts, that every time they try to stamp out the church, it just spreads? That's what Paul's saying. How could there be anything lacking if the same message you believed is planting churches and bearing fruit everywhere in the world it can be nothing it can be nothing to add that's the testimony of a powerful gospel that produces life and is never limited by people or by place still a little bit more in verse 6 that we want to squeeze out Paul closes verse 6 with a reminder that this gospel power is experienced by faith alone listen again to the closing line of verse 6 It's bearing fruit among you and increasing since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul makes his point unmistakably clear. This globally fruitful gospel 
is the same message that the Colossians embraced. How did they embrace it? How did they experience this powerful, fruit-producing good news? Not through their own works, as if the gospel were dependent upon them, but by faith alone. When Paul says that they heard the gospel, he means that they believed it with understanding. They didn't merely hear the sound of the preaching as though, as though like phonetic uh, you know, syllables have some sort of magical power. That's not what he means. He means they heard the gospel and they understood it. They understood what the word of God was teaching about God himself, that he is the creator and the judge of all living things. They understood what the scriptures were teaching about Christ, that he is supreme and the only savior who purchased forgiveness through his blood at the cross. And they understood what the scriptures declare about humanity, about themselves, that they were sinners separated from God. And that their only hope of salvation was to cast themselves on Christ, on Christ in faith. That's what it means to be saved by faith alone. You don't just hear the good news. You hear it and believe it with understanding. That's why there has to be a preacher. So that someone can explain, can teach from the word of God. So if we're going to summarize verse 6, the word of God has the power to produce life. That power is not limited by people or place. And that power is received by faith alone. What I want us to take away in terms of application is actually the same thing that I preached on the Sunday you called me to be one of your pastors. And that's that the word of God is sufficiently powerful for our life and ministry together as a church. And giving us his word, God has given us everything that we need. For in his word, he's given us himself. So whether it's the daily pursuit of the Christian life or the work of Christian mission halfway around the world, the word of God has the power to bear fruit in whatever setting God has you. Whether it's here in this church, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, the word of God has the power to bear fruit in whatever setting he has you. Listen, one of the great challenges facing the church today is the challenge to be simply and faithfully committed to the scriptures as the power of God. Not just committed to the scriptures as intellectually true. I got a lot of unbelieving friends that would not argue with me that the Bible reports true facts. But they don't believe the Bible is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So one of the great challenges is for churches to be simply and faithfully committed to the scriptures as the power of God. There are so many voices calling the church to pursue this particular strategy or to adopt this particular platform. There's so many ways in which a church's ministry can be co-opted by something other than the word of God. So the challenge for churches in our day is actually to remain simple. We need to get simpler, or to say it a different way, we need to get simply biblical in our approach to doing the work of the ministry together. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't have to be complicated. It shouldn't be complicated, in fact. We prioritize knowing God's word through reading, studying, and meditating upon his scriptures day in and day out. We prioritize knowing God's word and we prioritize applying God's word, applying it through repentance and faith 
and obedience to the Lord. Know God's word, apply God's word. As we do those things, our minds are no longer conformed to the pattern of this age, but they're transformed. Our minds are renewed so that we walk in newness of life. I know that that sounds simple. Prioritize knowing God's word and then applying God's word. And listen, I'd be forthright with you. I've had numerous people tell me over the years that that strategy simply will not work in a church. But I believe verse 6. I believe, verse 6, that the same word of God that bore fruit in the Colossians bears fruit around the world, and it will bear fruit in Fisherville, and in Louisville, and in Kentucky, and in the U.S., and to wherever else the Lord sends us. God's word, believed and applied, has the power to bear fruit, both here and then out there, everywhere. That takes us right to that second truth that I want us to think about And this comes from the example of Epaphras himself. In verses 7 and 8, we need to think about the need for faithful messengers. The need for faithful messengers. Verse 7, Paul introduces us to Epaphras. This is the brother who planted the church in Colossae. He's probably from there, and so he plants the church there. I know that church planting sounds exciting to a lot of people. It may not be as exciting as you think. I know church planting sounds exciting, but we need, we need to have a realistic picture of Epaphras' ministry. So you need a little background to the city of Colossae. By this point in time, the city of Colossae is in a pretty steep decline. It was formerly a crossroads of commerce and culture in the empire, but those days are long gone. One of the main roads in the empire ran through the city of Colossae, but then they moved it. They, they changed the, the course of the roads, and all of the commerce and all of the culture went up the road to Ephesus or to Laodicea. It, it, so this is, a, this is a backwater town now. And, and it's not an exaggeration to say that Colossae is the least important city to which Paul ever wrote a letter. It would be like somebody saying, I'm going to go plant a church in Shamrock, Texas. Do you know where that is? No, no one does. Route 66 used to run through Shamrock, Texas, and then they built Interstate 40, and now no one goes to Shamrock, Texas, right? So it's not an exaggeration to say it's the least important city that Paul ever wrote a letter to. So just to use a modern-day analogy again, Epaphras was a church planter, but his strategic plan didn't take him to New York City. He wasn't going to London or Paris or Dubai. He didn't head for a metropolis at the crossroads of the world. Epaphras went home. He went home to a city that was fast becoming a forgotten town that nobody paid attention to. But that's the most important feature of Epaphras' ministry. He was faithful. He was faithful to what God gave him to do. In fact, that's what Paul emphasizes about him in verses 7 and 8. Unlike these false teachers who could not be trusted, Epaphras had proven himself to be a trustworthy minister of Christ. He's faithful. Notice how Paul emphasizes his faithfulness. Epaphras was anchored in the truth. Look at the first line of verse 7, where Paul says that the Colossians learned the gospel from Epaphras. That word learned is really important. It carries the idea of thoroughgoing instruction. Someone's been trained in the truth. They've been taught the truth. So Epaphras didn't blow into town 
give a quick gospel presentation, ask for a show of hands, and then move on to the next place. That's not what he did. He preached, he taught, he answered questions, he passed on the truths that Paul had given to him. In other words, Epaphras did the slow, steady work of making disciples. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't easy, it was messy, it was inefficient, but it was faithful. And that was the whole point. He was faithful. He was anchored in the truth and he passed it on. Notice also in verse 7 that Epaphras was devoted to Christ. Unlike the false teachers who wanted to make a name for themselves, Epaphras was in the ministry for the Lord. In verse 7, Paul identifies him as our beloved fellow servant. He's a servant. A servant claims nothing for himself, but instead works only for the master. That was Epaphras' mindset in the ministry. Christ was his Lord, and it was to Christ that Epaphras displayed his allegiance. And if that allegiance meant going back to a small town that nobody wanted to go to and engaging in the slow, steady work of making disciples that no one ever paid attention to, then Epaphras would do it. Because that was faithful. That was faithful to the mission. His faithfulness was exhibited in his devotion to Christ. He's anchored in the truth. He's devoted to Christ. Last thing, Epaphras was humble in his motivation. Look at the end of verse 7, where Paul says that Epaphras was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, on the Colossians' behalf. There's no higher compliment for a Christian than to be called a servant of Christ for the sake of someone else. Unlike the false teachers, Epaphras didn't want something from the Colossians. He wanted something for the Colossians, namely their joy and growth in the Lord. So Epaphras had learned well from the Apostle Paul what it takes to be a disciple maker. If you want to be a disciple maker, what's going to be required of you? The humility to pour your life out for the good of other people and to do so over and over and over, trusting that God bears fruit in his time. It requires the patience of a farmer who every day waters the fields, pulls the weeds, shoes off the crows, knowing that someday it's going to bear fruit. Not tomorrow, probably not next week either. But someday it's going to bear fruit. And so he does the work every single day. That's what it takes to be a disciple maker. Humble persistence. I had a wise man tell me once, if you want to make disciples in the local church, you're going to spend hundreds of hours for millimeters of growth. And that's just it. It's not flashy. It's not quick. It's inefficient. And it's a glorious work to do. That's what Epaphras modeled. Humbly, persistently ministering the word of God. Anchored in the truth, devoted to Christ. He's humble in his motivation. That's the whole testimony of being a faithful servant to the Lord. Now we're ready to make the one, the one connection that I want us to make. From the, whole, from the whole message here. Just this one connection. Put the two components together. The word of God is powerful, verses 5 and 6, and that power is found where? In faithful messengers, in faithful ministry, like Epaphras, verses 7 and 8. That's the connection. The power of God's word makes faithfulness an urgent priority. It's very much like the passage that Jordan read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
God displays his power where? Not through eloquence, not through mightiness, but through faithful, humble servants like Epaphras. That's where the power of God's word is found. So if you go back to the situation that we began the sermon with, the scope of the Great Commission... We can often look at the scope of the Great Commission and think there is no way local churches can do this. It's too big. 3,200 unreached, unengaged peoples. There's no way we can do this. The darkness of the world is too dark. The slavery of sin is too overwhelming. There's just no way that this is going to work. But it may be that we're looking at the scope of the mission from the wrong perspective. It is that we're looking at it from the wrong perspective then. Rather than focusing on the scope of the mission, what if we instead remembered the testimony of faithful servants like Epaphras? Here was a man who took the truth that he learned and applied it simply and faithfully in the place that God had given him. He didn't minimize the urgency to reach the world, not in the least. But he did begin by simply ministering where God had opened the door, right here in the city of Colossae. And he did so in faith trusting that God would bring growth in his time through the gospel. Friends, that's a model of ministry that I I can get behind. It's a model of ministry that each of us can get behind. God supplies the power through his gospel, and then he asks us to prioritize being faithful. That's how the word of God grows. That's how the Great Commission is carried out. So, what if each of us What if each of us brought this Epaphras mindset, power of the word of God, lived out through faithful ministry? What if each of us brought this Epaphras mindset to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our own homes, and even to this church? What if instead of thinking that we had to be trailblazing leaders like the Apostle Paul, What if instead we just embraced being humble, faithful servants like Epaphras? And we brought that mindset to our own workplaces, our own homes, our own neighborhoods, and even to our church. Rather than viewing disciple-making ministry as something that only exceptional Christians do, what if we placed our confidence in the power of God's word and then prioritized being faithful just right where God has us, right now, wherever the Lord has placed us? You may be thinking, but I'm just one person. So was Epaphras. And the Lord worked through him by his word. Just one servant and a church was planted. How did that happen? Because one brother believed in the power of God's word and then devoted himself to faithfulness. Your neighborhood, your workplace, your home, this church, even around the world. Friends, God has has called each of us, if you're a Christian... God has called each of us to that kind of ministry. And and he supplies the power in in his word. And what he asks each of us is to simply be faithful. So in a just practical way, I'm going to pray here in a minute. Pray and ask the Lord to show you just just one, one person perhaps. One person that you could make a priority to invest in in a disciple making context. And it does not have to be complex. I'm a simple guy. I like simplicity. One person that you could say, hey, would you like to 
grab coffee once a month and read through the book of Ephesians with me. And just read the Bible and pray together. Who's one person in your life, your workplace, your neighborhood, your home, this church, one person that you could engage with in just faithful gospel ministry? You're think- I'm sure someone is thinking, that is not going to do anything. Perhaps. But the word of God has the power to give life. And the power of God's word is not limited by people or place or strategy. And the power of God's word is received by faith alone. So we humbly submit ourselves to this is the way that God works. And we say, I'm one person, but I'm going to be faithful right where God has me in the place that he's put me. That's not to minimize the urgency to reach the 3,200 unengaged or unreached people groups. It's not to minimize that at all. But it is to say, where can we be faithful right now? In what place and in what way? Where can you start? Where can I start? Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be people who only take in your word. We don't want to be people who only know your word. We want to be people who know and apply. We want to be hearers and doers. We want to demonstrate with our lives that we believe the word of God is the power of of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so I pray, Father, that even here on this Sunday night with this handful of people who have gathered together, that we would take you at your word, that we would believe you, and that we would seek to put your word into practice in a way that will bear fruit and lead to life. Whether it's our own homes, in this church, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, Father, help us to think in terms of being faithful and help us to express that faithfulness by trusting that you work through your word powerfully to give life and to bear fruit to the glory of Christ. Lord, help each of us to be mindful of the fact that you've called us to be disciple makers, that your strategy for reaching the unreached is the local church. And the local church is nothing less than believers bound together in covenant and in faith, trusting that you will work through them to bring in all those for whom Christ died. So we pray, God, that you would help us to grow. We pray that we would not just know the word, but that we would know it and apply it. That we would not just hear the word, that we would hear it and do it. That we would do so, Father, in humble dependence upon you. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of faithful saints down through the ages, men like Epaphras, who did what you called them to do and served in ways that were faithful. Help us, Father, to join that great cloud of witnesses and to be faithful as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.